BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What I wanted to do is show that urban music was more than just the R&B and hip hop. Like urban music is jazz, urban music is electronic, urban music is the hip hop in UK, urban music is the Detroit techno. And I wanted to highlight artists that are really innovating and creating new sounds, not just in America, but across the globe that's been influenced by black culture or created by black culture. From the Fox 6 studios, this is definitely Milwaukee. Conversations with the movers and shakers that put our slice of Wisconsin on the map in the worlds of entertainment, business, sports, and more. I'm Carl Deffenbaugh. Building up Milwaukee one track at a time. 88.9 Radio Milwaukee's Tariq Moody transitioned from a career in architecture to making things happen with a microphone. Leaving Minnesota, he took a risk on a new station in a new city and years later has made a name for himself as one of the better-known DJs in town. The host of Rhythm Lab Radio and the station's digital director tells us how 88.9 adapted to the coronavirus pandemic while continuing to serve Milwaukee and promote local artists. And nearly two months after the death of George Floyd, what does he think the lasting impact of the ensuing protests will be in Milwaukee and across the country? Plus, as an avid foodie and gamer, Tariq shares some of his favorites, a surprise pick for the best building in Milwaukee, and the up-and-coming artists you need to know in the music world. And with that, 88.9's Tariq Moody is on the mic. Happy to be joined by Tariq Moody here of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. I was kind of chuckling uh, getting ready for this, Tariq, that um, we could probably not collect two guys who work opposite schedules with my show starting at 4.30 <laughs> in the morning. And I believe most of your work, uh, at least on air for 88.9, doesn't end until midnight. So we, we found a happy medium here uh, early afternoon <laughs> schedule. Thank you for making this work. Oh, that's not a problem, actually. Uh I don't really sleep, so I, I catch you at, at 4.30 in the morning as well. So Wow, okay. <laughs> Not sure that's totally healthy in the long term, but uh, I also have my own sleep issues, so I can commiserate about that. Um, I feel like I have to start so many of these uh, in a similar vein, but how are you doing? How are things going for you during this, this pandemic, this quarantine, everything that the world's trying to fight our way through? It's kind of like it's it's been like a roller coaster, a, a, a never ending roller coaster, and I'm not a fan of roller coasters. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, there's there's I mean, there's highs and lows. Um, there's like there's a running joke at the office of certain words we just try not to use anymore. So it includes pivot, like we try to find another word besides pivot, and the new normal. Like I'm trying to like get rid of that from my vocabulary because I'm like I think every time I hear that I like part of my brain cell dies off or something unprecedented sounded like a great word at the beginning of this and now it's becoming a little bit of a cliche I think <laughs> I'd be curious uh, and I think maybe listeners would as well if they're fans of 88.9 how things have transitioned for the radio station I imagine the first couple of weeks of this is all kind of juggling new new yeah stuff. it was kind of weird it was like 
I don't remember the first day, like we started working from home, but I remember it was like the, you know, the, when the pandemic started making news and spreading, we were in a conference room together, like trying to be six feet apart and like, what's going on? Like, so we weren't even sure of anything. And all of a sudden, Hey, Tariq, here's your mic. Here's the audio card. Go home, <laughs> set up this whole VPN and all this network. And you're like, okay, how, how long do you think this is going to last? Maybe a couple months. And then, oh no, it's five months in. Okay. Um, but uh, as far as the station, we've, we are, we're good. I think our, our, our whole staff is good at um, really adapting to unique situation and trying to to be a kind of a resource for our listeners. So we created a whole bunch of new programming, uh, especially during the beginning of the pandemic when people were like the stay at home order. So we had like a new show called kids disco on Saturday mornings. We had a thing called uh, school of rock. So every morning, Monday through Friday, Dory Zoe would do like a little educational fun lesson about a certain artist. Um, and then like our DJ who does the kind of dance show on Saturdays does uh, um, expanded his show for, for four hours on a Saturday night. So we created new programming for people, especially for people who were stuck at home or stuck with kids or so like we've done a lot of innovative uh, content and, and um, kind of programming for the station yeah. during this pandemic. Yeah. Some of the creativity I think that's come out of this has been interesting as people mm -hmm. adapt to new changes. Uh, one of the things that we talk about it at, at our station, I talk about with my friends and there's not necessarily an answer for it, but I'd be curious what you think about kind of the long lasting effects of this. Like you said, we're, we're probably going to be in this for a while longer still. And I'm curious what, what won't come back, you know, what things in our culture, what things in the way we do, do work, do school, do everything else will, will not be the same. will be forever changed. I've, I made a status maybe a few weeks ago about commercial real estate, especially office space. Like what, what's going to happen there? Like are people like there's, I've heard, there heard stories where people like just got rid of, like they said, you know what? The boss said, we're going to get rid of our office space. So they got rid of office space. So the whole idea of what commercial real estate and architecture, like I used to be an architect, practice architecture before I did this. And it's like architecture is going to need to change, right? And how we design spaces and like co-working spaces, like what, what's going to happen in co-working spaces, like WeWorks and all those spaces where it's all about networking and getting to know people. And, you know, this pandemic saying you can't do that anymore and these spaces are changing. So that's the biggest thing I'm kind of want to see what's going to happen to that space of commercial real estate, especially office real estate and even restaurant yeah. <laughs> design of restaurants and bars and like that whole, the physical space of how to do things. Because I like, I think there's still going to be, it's going to be a long time, you know, personally, I think it's not going to be like at the end of this year, I think it's going to be a long time before you actually see like people gathering and networking normally in this yeah. country. Yeah. I think commercially, you know, so much of the, of the push was for collaborative space and areas yeah. where you can kind of team up and brainstorm yeah. ideas. And that's not what we're doing I think, now. I think people gonna get, if they're going to do offices again, people are going to have their own office again. Yeah. Like everybody's going to have a little office, you know, and, and, and another thing, rent, like the Bay area, the rent's going down, like all the remote Facebook, Twitter says we're not coming back for the time being. Right. So there was a story about how rent and those and San Francisco is going down. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're like, people are like, well, I'm not coming back to San Francisco and paying that rent. I can just work from my hometown. Right. And yeah, yeah, so. mm. <laughs> you mentioned the, the restaurants too. I know you're, you're very much into food too. If anyone's seen your Instagram and seen some of the other projects you're involved with around town, what's kind of uh, helped get you through this 
during this time on that side, the culinary side, whether it's a, a favorite takeout or, or something you've been trying at home or really working. There with. was a time where, um, before somehow this, like my workload has like tripled during this pandemic. I still don't know how that happened, but in the beginning for a few months, a few weeks, a couple months into it, I uh, was like every week I was challenging myself to cook something completely new and different and complicated. So I start doing that. Um, so like I've done, um, like I'm a big fan of dim sum. So and I, like, there was no dim sum restaurants and, you know, going to Chicago was out of the option. So I started learning making dim sum. So I made like steamed chicken bun- buns from scratch, the buns and everything and like fried shrimp balls and, and just these weird dishes I've never had a chance to cook. And it was almost became like, you know, people like, oh, yoga is great for my calmness. But cooking complicated meals uh, kind of was my yoga. It was like I was focused. I wasn't worrying about like pandemics. I wasn't worrying about, oh, what's the next Zoom meeting I'm going to be on? Or it was just like this calmness when I cooked, especially like unique dishes. Yeah, you can kind of see that progress in front of you, the challenge you're taking on, things like that. So I was like ordering ingredients from Amazon that I can't find and stuff like (laughs) that. Like the other day I ordered like, it was funny, I was making okonomiyaki, which is kind of this Japanese pancake, and I got all the ingredients online. It was one of the ingredients I really wanted to make the perfect pancake. And I ordered the like back in April, and I got it like Monday, this past Monday, because it was coming from Japan. So I was like, well, that's great. I guess I should make the okonomiyaki now properly but hopefully you're still as interested in cooking as you were a few months ago right (laughs) i want to get back into it like it does help me but it's just like right now it's just like the the workload like i've been doing a lot you know i feel like i want to make more of an impact during this Mm -hmm. time you know it's not just my job it's so like like you start seeing what this pandemic has revealed in our culture like you know the 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 parent you know the digital divide or or the hunger, or all the stuff that's happened, the pandemic kind of revealed the social ills in the country. And I was like, how can I use my skills to make an impact? So I've been working on different things and trying to figure out how I can make a difference. That's something that I I think really strikes me about your career, your time here in Milwaukee, which goes back, was it 2006 now since you moved here to to join Radio Uh, Milwaukee? 2000, January 2007. Okay. And 13 years. One of the things I've been really interested, we've crossed paths a couple times and then just hearing from other people is you seem so uh, so unique in your ability to connect people, to to come up with an idea and, and kind of know the right steps to get something in motion that's not necessarily related to the radio station, not necessarily related to uh, your day-to-day life. Where does that come from? Is that something you, you've kind of always had in you or what is it about you that, that something will spark and you'll say, okay, I want to follow this through? I'll I think it. it's a combination of my parents, for one. Um, the fact that I always, I never lived in one spot. Like I wasn't ever, I never grown up, well, never grow up anywhere. Right. So I always moved and I was kind of forced to like being a shy person, introvert on top of it. As a young kid, I had a force to make new friends again. Right. So I think that was one of it. And I think my parents, how they raised me. And I think the, the experience at Howard university and like, in my experience in the military, um, just the diverse experiences and exposures I got because of moving and opposed to being all putting my hands in different things and seeing how other people do things and kind of like, oh, I like that. I'm going to bring that into the fold in who I am. I think that's kind of where it came from. So it's not just one thing. I think it's just a combination of different things that, that propelled me to do what I do. 
Interesting. That's kind of a credit to you if, if you are kind of a self-described introvert too, because that, that can't be the easiest thing to kind of continue no, to put yourself out there. I'm in, a, I'm in a field of industry that's like counterintuitive to <laughs> introverts. I'm on the radio as an introvert. So it's kind of, it's, it's hilarious. The funny story is like, it was the whole radio thing was by accident, right? I like I was living in Minneapolis and I was an architect and I never, and I just moved there. I didn't know anybody. And I was like, okay, the first place I ever lived, that was like, I experienced cold, like brutal cold. And I was like, this is awful. And like, if I'm supposed to live here, I got to find something to do. And, and I think someone gave me tickets to this radio concert, kind of like, it was kind of like MSE in Minneapolis and connect with them. And I start volunteering. I want to be like behind the scenes, but they're like, Hey, why don't you be on air? And I'm like, no, I don't want to be on air reading the news. So I was like, they asked me to read the news every, I think it was every Tuesday or Wednesday evening. And I said, okay. So I did that got a show and like this whole radio thing was really all about me just trying to connect and find people, friends in a cold city. And decades later, look what you're still doing, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the funny thing. Most people realize like you must have studied radio forever. And like, that was never my intention at all. (laughs) That's really interesting. Um, For people who are not familiar, you mentioned Howard university architecture degree from Mm -hmm. there. Uh, you worked in, was it Detroit and Minneapolis for, for a couple of different Yeah, years? so when I graduated, uh, I worked for Northwest Airlines as a design manager. And I worked on the Detroit Terminal, which is now Delta's Terminal. Um, so I lived in, like outside of Detroit, Epson Landing, but we worked in Detroit. Um, and then I promoted to Minneapolis, worked at Northwest Airlines as a full design manager and had my region for managing facilities with like West Coast and Canada. Um, and then September 11 happened basically airlines got hit hard. I got laid off. Um, and actually when it happened, I was, uh, I was on duty military in Atlanta, um, when actually everything happened. And so I was kind of stuck in Atlanta, my hometown of Atlanta, which, which happened. Um, I got laid off in October, about a month after September 11th. And then I worked for a developer. I did these things. Um, and then, uh, finally got a job with a traditional architecture firm. And then I got a show after the kind of, uh, the, the station I started volunteering at, I got a show on Minnesota Public Radio, their new station, The Current. And that's kind of how it, my trajectory happened. I'm always curious about people that go through uh, pretty significant career changes as well. So what was it about architecture, going back to even your school days, that you were really drawn to? And then what is it about radio that, that enticed you and has kept you going in this for so long? Well, architecture, growing up as a kid, I, I drew a lot. And I love math and science. And I was trying to figure out you know, in high school, freshman, sophomore, what I wanted to do in college. And like, I like to cook too. The funny thing, I was like, I learned cooking from my parents and grandparents. Um, and I was like, I was also looking at culinary school, but again, there was no food network, you know, being a chef wasn't sexy at the time. <laughs> right. So I kind of put the, said, no, I don't want to do that. And like, you know, girls don't like that. So, <laughs> uh, and I was like, architects, people like architects, they seem sexy and, <laughs> and it blends science and art together. And that's kind of why I took it. And I want to go to Howard. Um, I actually wanted to go like, initially I was going to like go to USC. I just want to get far away from my parents. I love my parents. They're like, why don't you go to Georgia tech? I'm like, well, that means you're just five miles away. So no, I want to get like, they didn't let me go to California. Like that's too far. And I got a scholarship for Howard university, um, ROTC scholarship. And I went to Howard to study architecture, five-year program. Um, and I just love the creativity of what architecture gave me. The, the kind of, the, I think that also 
kind of the idea of what architecture is, the design thinking, where you always hear that in startups, that's where it came from, architecture. And so I think that also plays a role in how I do things now, right? I think my skills and even though I'm not doing architecture, I think that plays a role in everything I do and what I try to do. Well, certainly Radio Milwaukee kind of getting in early, at least in the ground floor with them and helping build it into what it's become too. I imagine there's, there's some of that challenge mm-hmm. as well and some of the things you're, you're getting to pursue there. I'd be curious about Milwaukee, what, you've, uh, what you knew about the city before you moved here, what kind of things you've learned to love about it over the years that have kept you here. As, as you say, someone who's bounced around a lot, you've been here for a while now. Yeah, uh, what I knew about it was, to be frank, I didn't know anything about Milwaukee. Nothing. Like, when people are like, you didn't know about Laverne and Shirley? Like, I never watched Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> like, I've too, you know, it was, a, it was a rerun on TBS, but I never, like, you know, associated that show with Milwaukee like most people did. I don't remember even associating beer with Milwaukee. Like, it never, like, where I grew up, I grew up mostly in the Southeast, so it never, the Midwest was kind of this, you know, even Minnesota, only thing about Minnesota I remember was like Prince, right? Purple Rain. Um, but I didn't know anything, right, about Milwaukee. And then when I got approached um, from the station when people were trying to start the station, they hit me up about my show. I was doing The Current, and I kind of go like, the goes, guy, yeah, I'm from Milwaukee. And I'm going like, did you say Milwaukee? <laughs> like, I was in like, okay, that I mean, I'm just a random, you know, curious about my show, want to talk on the station Milwaukee, and like they wanted me to fly me out to just chat. It wasn't even an interview. Like, just talk about what I was thinking about radio and I was big into tech. Somehow they knew I liked tech and they flew me to Milwaukee and I'm like, Oh, there's no cows here. <laughs> there's a lake here. You know, like what, what's going on here? There's a lake, you know, like my mindset, like when I think of, you know, Midwest, like anybody from any other region, right. We're probably thinking of Midwest as farmlands and it's no different than like people like think about who never been out West, just think bunch, just bunch of surfers out West. Right. Or down South is a bunch of, you know, rural so like i think it's just you know perception wise so i had no really idea and they talked to me and uh we talked a lot i flew back um and then a week later i get a call hey we want to offer you a job based off our conversation i was just like milwaukee (laughs) and i was like uh i gotta think about this like i'm working towards my license certified license for architecture like i'm like you know i had a girlfriend i had like I was DJing. I had like, you know, a life kind of, right. And I was like, you're asking me just to upend my career and all this stuff. And, and so I had a lot to think about and I asked my dad and he goes like, well, if you don't do this, you're probably going to regret it and you can always come back. Right. And so I go like, huh, he's got a point. So I said, yeah, why not? And then 13 years here, I'm, I am. Um, yeah. You haven't gone back, I guess. So. Yeah. There's just something about, you know, the people I work with and the people I've seen here and like this, there's just, uh, the city's just like, there's a lot bubbling, right? Like I grew up in Atlanta, right? Here's the, the, the great story, how I compare Milwaukee. Atlanta was, uh, before the Olympics, Atlanta was just, you know, it was growing. Um, but there was not like energy. There wasn't a lot of energy really happening. And I remember in high school when they were trying for Olympic, it was a laughing joke. Atlanta's trying for like, like people, kids in high school and like comedian were making fun of the people trying for Atlanta to get the Olympics. Everybody was laughing. Like I remember that. And we're sitting there like, Atlanta's getting Olympics. My dad, yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> Come on, who's gonna give Atlanta Olympics? All of a sudden you see the report of them like the next city in nineteen ninety six Olympics, it's Atlanta. And you were just sitting there and like this collective like 
what? And the mindset of Alanon's change, right? It's kind of this like, this spark. It's like, if we can do this, then, you know, there's no stopping this city, right? I still just seen the same vibe here in Milwaukee. Like, unfortunately, you know, I, the pandemic kind of, I saw Milwaukee, the DNC, and the Bucks. It's kind of their Olympic moment. You're right. I felt like 2020 is Milwaukee's chance to like, oh, you know, and a pandemic kind of kind of came in and go like, mm, you know, we're gonna have to like put that on hold. But I really believe that Milwaukee is just like on the verge of something really special, the city, because of the people and the creativity. And I've seen a lot of people do some amazing things here, and I never seen like kind of almost the same passion as Detroit. Like Detroit gets a bad rap. Like it, people look at Detroit as this ruined kind of porn and like, oh, Detroit. But those people are, they're passionate about their city. They know their city has problems, but there's something about a place of people that don't want to give up on their city. And I've seen that Detroit has changed and transformed. Still got a long way to go. And I feel Milwaukee has that, the people here have that same passion, just like I saw when Atlanta won the Olympics and how that mindset changed. And I think Milwaukee's on verge. It's there. It's like, we just need that little push. You described it as a way to kind of expand people's view of urban music beyond hip hop, beyond R&B, pulling in all these different influences. Where does that come from? And what has that been like to kind of grow people's knowledge of music and influences and, and give a, a platform for so many different artists? So the show is actually turns 15 in uh, about three weeks, wow. 15 years old. Um, and that's, it was actually uh, the show I started on the current with, and it was kind of a thesis to public radio, um, basically saying you're public radio music, but you're not really highlighting music and culture that I fit in. I like, and other people feel in because the commercial radio station not doing it. And I felt like public radio's obligation is to highlight it. And at the time, it wasn't really doing it. And that was kind of the thesis, like the show to show that this is a, there's an audience, there's a market for this kind of stuff and what I want to do. And it was inspired by uh, a show on the BBC called Worldwide, uh, produced by uh, DJ Manager Giles Peterson. And what I wanted to do is show that that urban music, which is now kind of a term that, you know, Grammy's trying to get rid of, was more than just, you know, the problem with the Grammys was just more than just the R&B and hip hop. Like urban music is jazz. Urban music is electronic. Urban music is the hip hop in UK. Urban music is the Detroit techno. Like I wanted to show the, the diaspora of the wide diaspora of this music beyond just hip hop and R&B. And that's where the show's inspiration came from. And I wanted to highlight artists that are really innovating and creating new sounds and, and, and new um, kind of styles of music not just in America, but across the globe that's been influenced by black culture or created by black culture. Is there a sense you get when you hear a new artist and you think, okay, this, this one hits for me. Like what, what for you catches when you think, okay, this is an artist that, that fits with my vibe, fits with my theme. And I think listeners would, would be interested in it as well. It's usually the music first, you know, it's like an emotional hit where I'm going like, I play it and then all of a sudden like, little hairs right get on your skin so that's what it is like i was playing alabama shakes when they weren't even signed like i heard their music they were at a conference and i was like dude yes yes we gotta we gotta fight for this band to get on air 
so it's just a, a vibe and a feeling, right? Mm. It's hard to really explain. There's no analytic kind of scientific data of how a certain artist or a certain song fits or works, or it's just the feeling, a gut feeling. Like, you know, there's something about it, you know, that's that sweet spot, right? Mm. You know, that's what it really is to me. Yeah. And for so many people, it is hard to put into words. Uh, one of the other, probably the other big story of 2020, besides the pandemic, right, has been the the racial protests around the country, around the world uh, after the death of George Floyd. And I, I was kind of thinking about this preparing for the interview, too. Initially, in a lot of our coverage, a lot of what we said, a lot of what people on, the, on air were saying was this feeling that it was different. It, it mm. feels different this time. And I'd be curious, by the time this, this post, it'll be about almost two months since George Floyd's death. Do you think that is still true? Has that carried through as, as the protests are not every single day taking over our city and taking over others? Yeah. Um, I think some of it has to do with the pandemic, right? The effects of the pandemic, like you're focused on this, right? You don't have all the distractions that happens when you don't have to be stuck at home in quarantine, right? And that gave people a chance to really look at what's going on and really see, oh my, like, oh my God, I didn't know this is happening. and because, you know, this has happened on video before, but I think the fact that, you know, there was no sports, there was no Olympics, there was no, your life, most people's lives were kind of simplified because of the pandemic. So you're kind of like, either have to deal with this pandemic or, oh, there's this, and then you start focus on this. And then people start really sharing their stories and people realize, started to listen because you really didn't really have the, I mean, you still have the distractions of social media, but you don't have the distractions of life of doing things, going out, talking, socializing, that was gone because of the pandemic. So I think people got a chance to really listen and see what's happening. And you see corporations, I mean, the whole Redskins thing, like I never thought that was going to happen. Yeah. Like corporations sitting there like pulling my money and there's Facebook boycotts of corporations boycotting advertising. And like, I don't think any of this will happen, honestly. I mean, you want to call it a silver lining and whatever. I don't think if the pandemic wasn't a thing, I wonder if all this stuff would have happened, right? Because that's the difference. That's the difference there. That's the un. That's the whole thing. The the that brings everything together, right? If this happened last year with no pandemic, would we be talking about Redskins? Would we talking where you see Netflix putting two hundred million dollars, hundred million dollars in 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 black banks on? with those all these conversations i'm seeing happening zoom panels all these articles these thought pieces npr's feature new york times you know would any of this happen if it wasn't for a pandemic yeah, like, i mean like i'm that. just like i like i don't know that's the only thing that sets apart because yeah. all this stuff's been happening i mean you had you know philando castro on video like really violent shot girlfriend in the car that didn't transform anything. Michael Brown, that didn't do anything. I really believe this pandemic kind of played a role in, in what's happening in the changes. So like, as I said before, I think it exposes a lot of this, this, this disease, this virus exposes a lot of things that we have not really paid attention to. Yeah. Like you said, it kind of clears out the distractions and allows yeah. you to really see what, what, what the big picture issues are there. Certainly. Um, one of the things we've been trying to do is point people towards tangible resources, not only just make things 
kind of clear and apparent about all the ways that some of the racial issues in our country affect all levels of society, all levels of, of our country, but also point people towards some tangible ways they can help. And I, I was struck by reading a little bit more about 88.9 labs that you do and some of the ways mm -hmm. that you are trying to raise the level of technological uh, opportunity for black students around Milwaukee. So if you'd like to, I'd love to just kind of clear the floor and let you go on that for a little bit. Some of the, the issues there that are an example of systemic racism, yeah. and then some ways that Milwaukee can level the playing field a little bit when it comes to technology. Well, I just real quick, I explain what 88.9 Labs is. The program um, I created part of 88.9 to make tech more accessible, inclusive using our platform, right? And amplify other people who are doing the similar things. Um, the reason I created it and I realized throughout my entire life, tech has gave me opportunity, my love of tech and the opportunities that my parents saved for me to get a computer where I learned to program basic at computer language at 10 years old, um, provided all these great opportunities. You know, I was a computer lab, ran a computer lab in architecture school. I got some architecture jobs because of my experience in tech and willing to learn things. And it gave me, even this job at 88.9 gave me this opportunity, my love of tech, right? I was a beta tester of Facebook pages before there was Facebook pages. And I wanted to find a way to give back. Cause like, I don't think if I didn't have, when my parents bought that computer and saved that computer, I don't know if I would have these same opportunities. And so I wanted to show the power of technology, you know, not just, Hey, you can get a, you can program and that, but actually what technology can do. People think technology is bad or good. It's, it's just like a hammer, right? It's a tool. It's an empowering tool. And I just wanted to show all the opportunities out there that most people that look like me, women, LGBT, show them that this is just, you have the capability to just do the same thing as, as Mark Zuckerberg Berg, bug, <laughs> um, out there. Or you don't have to be some Stanford Ivy League kid to run a, a million dollar startup. And so the labs was trying to like, let's bring people into the city who are doing some amazing things in tech that most people don't think about, right? Not just a traditional fintech or all this stuff but like creative tech or who, who use tech for social impact who use tech to feed people um like we brought in a, a woman who's doing an amazing thing in atlanta and around the country jasmine co who's using blockchain and, and, and technology to feed people and deal with food waste and she's a for-profit company so um that's the really thing and the whole point of this is to show like the systemic racism is that there's a lot of categories and issues through stimulus health housing but it's also wealth, the wealth gap, right? The wealth gap is just, I mean, data is like ridiculous. Like I think the you know, average black family in the Milwaukee area is like 21,000 compared to like a white family, like 70, 75,000, right? And tech and entrepreneurship and venture capital, those are one way of hoping to use to close part of that gap. And access to VC capital has been really abhorrent, not just for women, but for black. Like women, I think is a, uh, 2%. Black women is like 0.002% venture capital invested. And then blacks overall with men is like 1%, right? And then the opportunities to grow a business and scale and do all that, um, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I want to make sure and address those issues and show people the opportunities and try to connect talent here with other talent I've met other elder places to help them grow as well or help them scale. We've certainly seen with the, the different stock markets, the companies that are heavily invested in tech are the ones that have done well during this, while so mm -hmm. many of the others have had really tough times during the pandemic. One of the articles that really struck me during 
a few weeks ago, I think maybe a month or two ago, and the Washington Post had a graph of the wealth gap between whites and blacks since 1968. So since a transformative time for a civil rights movement and the white amount of wealth, family wealth has gone up dramatically. Mm -hmm. And for black families, it's like barely registered. It's, it's gone up a little bit, but almost negligible over that time. And I think for me, that was particularly striking in terms of, okay, what opportunities are going to be there for families. And, and there really does need to be some big steps taken. And it was policy. And that's what system, I mean, when people don't try that when they see that sometimes hear the word racism, they, they, they think a, a Klansman or somebody who's like using the N word systemic racism, basically there were policies to put people to stop people from progressing, you know, the redlining, right? The FHA actually had policies not to give loans to black people to help build generational wealth through their homes. Like there's a story about my dad who luckily had an owner just was desperate to sell to get him a loan for him, right? His first house. So those are the policies when people talk about something it's because of the, there were policies in place to prevent people from growing wealth. Yeah. Um, and now I feel like my space, my lane of tech, I think there's opportunities there to help fix some of that, not completely all of that, but it's also involves in, especially the pandemic revealed uh, also a bigger issue is the digital divide, right? And the digital divide, especially in Milwaukee uh, is it's, it's huge. Right. And I've been, you know, working with NPS Foundation. They have a new uh, campaign to help close that divide. And to me, the close that divide can also help close that wealth gap as well. Right. Because tech, you can't avoid tech. Yeah. <laughs> right. You as can't we do avoid this over it. Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that divide is strong in brown and black communities. Yeah. I mean, Chicago has a great campaign as well called Chicago Connect. They're raising $50 million to connect 100,000 people. And I know I'm MPS and I wanna, I'm trying to help and tell people like, this is very important. If you want to attract talent and keep talent here, we need to help close it to the digital divide. And that's the one thing I tell like, I would tell every corporation, if you're serious about like, I hear people want to, how do we get young people and talent, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Milwaukee, I mean, so it's great people, but it has some bad stats, right? Worst place for African-Americans, worst place. Until you start changing that, it's going to be hard to attract and retain talent, especially diverse talent. And it can start in the education, like, you know, help close the gap, make sure people and youth and students and families have the same equal access to the opportunities as people in the suburbs. That can also help change the city. Because if someone, like I believe in like, if you have, like a, someone told me you have a bad kidney, right? And pretend like, and you're like, the rest of your body's fine. You ignore that kidney, that kidney, the problem, that kidney is going to spread to your heart, lungs, legs, and you could just, your whole body can fail. And that's the same reason when you're like, some people feel like I'm in the suburbs, I don't have to worry about what happened in the city, but understand eventually that will affect you. And we need Milwaukee to be successful. We have to be successful for everybody. That's well said. Um, you've been very kind with the time, so I'll kind of wrap things up with a few quick hitters, some more fun stuff here, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. First and foremost, uh, the more entertaining side of tech, I think you're a pretty big gamer from, from some of the things I was reading. Yeah. So what's a, what's a game that's really helped get you through this? What are you playing uh, most recently? Uh, when, I, when I get a chance to play, it's also like cooking. For, it's like yoga for me as well. Like my mind is like runs, doesn't stop and sleep. Um, I'm big on the strategy games, but I was playing Doom Eternal which people are like, that's a violent game, but that's the most relaxing, meditative game ever. I'm not really great at it, but just going around and, and just 
the the heavy metal, which I'm not even a heavy metal fan. <laughs> it is just so relaxing, right? Another game I was really loving uh, was a, it's they're called City Builders, a type of game called Anno 1800, where you you start you build a city in the in the Industrial Revolution. You trade. It's very micromanagey, and like it's like you sitting in the weekend for eight ten hours playing this game. And so you get a coffee and you realize you wake up at 10 a.m. and you realize it's 7 p.m. You're still playing a game, building this city. And so there's a couple of games I really like. Um, I, I've been buying a lot of games. I haven't even started playing yet. <laughs> I think I got like 30 games I've bought. But there's one game I really, they keep delaying it. It's Cyberpunk 2077. I don't know if heard of it. It's like... It's the most anticipated game of, of the year, and they keep pushing the dates back. It was supposed to come out April. It was supposed to come out in September. Now it's November. But it's like, you know the film Witcher? Netflix, it was a, you know, it was a book, but it was also a video game. The same yep. people who made the Witcher video game, which became like this huge game, which is a fun game, by the way. It's just, you just it's like you get sucked into the storytelling, and it's like a movie that you're part of, The Witcher 3. So Cyberpunk, by the same creators in Poland, it's like, they're taking that same concept of their storytelling and applying to this futuristic dystopian kind of setting where cool. you have the control of creating your own characters and it's very fluid and like all the trilogy scenes like, dude, that just seemed like a great time sink to just, since I can't go on vacation and go anywhere, like I just want to play that game. Yeah, and go into another world, yeah. uh, even if it's <laughs> without leaving your house. Um, I'll ask you to put the architect hat on for a little bit. Do you have a, a favorite building or building around Mil- buildings around Milwaukee? And you can't say the eighty-eight nine building, although that one in Walker's Point is a beautiful one. Uh, most people are gonna say like Tariq must like the the Calvatrata. It's like mm, no, I I don't. Don't tell me. If anybody. it's not your style, it's not your style. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not a fan of of uh, celebrity architects. That's mm-hmm. You know, the whole, that's another conversation. But actually, I really love the building next to the Calvatrata, the War Memorial. Huh. There's something about that style and the shadows and how it lights. And I don't know what about it. There's something cold and warm about that building to me. At the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's right on the lake and it's just the contrast to the Calvatrata. It just feels, it feels like Milwaukee, right? Like it can be cold, but there's something soulful about it right i'll have to pay more attention to that when i drive by because yeah. i'm probably one of those people that just gets sucked into the wings right you next walk door, under the yeah. columns and like under like when you get under there and you watch and like even when the sun sets in a certain way and the shadows come in and just there's something about that building i really love very cool you know um i'll end with some music questions because that seems appropriate right let's get um an artist, uh, a pretty big name artist or a type of music that you've been really diving into during this time that's been good for you. And then someone from the Milwaukee area that, that folks should be on the lookout for. Let's start with Milwaukee. There's a lot of Milwaukee artists, isn't there? Well, the backline artists, all the backline artists, you know, if you're not familiar with the backline program where 88.9 partner generator accelerator to help elevate the music scene by giving grants to artists to help their careers. So all those artists in, on that scene, Liza Jane, I can't even think their names. I'm senile now. <laughs> but all four of those artists, um, look out for them. Cool. Uh, Zed Kinzo, um, if you remember Zed Kinzo, um, Immortal Girlfriend. I'm a big locally immortal, like um, the brothers, Immortal Girlfriend. They're kind of this synth wave duo. Uh, I really love them a lot. And then there's Amanda Huff locally. Amanda Huff, I call her the Milwaukee's answer to Bjork. Ooh. That's Amanda Huff. 
overall, uh, I did a listening, I hosted a listening party for NPR Music the other week for an album by a mysterious band by the name of Salt out of UK. They put out a surprise album on Juneteenth called Untitled Black Is, and it was just a very strong album, a celebration of blackness, struggle and joy. And it was just, just a powerful, hit me, it hit me really hard. And we did this listening party in PR. So I've been listening to that a lot, a lot. Hmm. So that's definitely one of my favorite albums right now. Some great recommendations. And the band Salt is definitely worthwhile. They have, they put out two albums last year. They're freaking, that's S-A-U-L-T. It's just, they're an amazing band. They don't have a photo, no image, no nothing. There's, there's rumors of who's in the band and stuff and, but they don't, they don't want to give it out, but just check out the whole discography. Cool. It's just a fun, soulful, like it's hard to explain, but they're just amazing. Worth checking out. Sounds good. Um, very quickly, if people want to uh, find you, what's the best place to track you down or track down some of the programs we talked about? Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Tariq Moody. I've been there a lot just to get away from Facebook's craziness. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, you find me Tariq Moody on Instagram for someone who's in tech and works in like social media. I don't really do a good job posting on Instagram. I hate, I'm not a selfie person. I have selfies. I think, I just think I feel like I have to do a selfie because everybody else does. I just like, ugh, like, ugh, this is an awful picture. But you find me Tariq Moody on Instagram, Twitter, Hobo Architect is the Twitter handle. And you can just go to RadioMilwaukee.org um, slash Rhythm Lab. Or you can check out the, the food podcast we do with uh, Milwaukee Magazine and Christian This Bites also at uh, every Friday at RadioMilwaukee.org. Very cool. It's been fun uh, learning about your journey to Milwaukee, and I think the city is, uh, is very happy to have you here, hopefully for a long time. Tariq, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you once again to Tariq Moody for all the time and for having probably the best audio quality of any of our guests during the pandemic. But what more would you expect from a guy in radio? A thank you as well to two people you don't hear from behind the scenes. That would be Sarah Smith and Dave Machuda, who do so much to make Definitely Milwaukee possible. And also the other podcast we have here at Fox 6, Open Record, featuring the Fox 6 investigators. If you'd like more from either, you can find the latest episodes and please leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast service or anytime at fox6now.com. <laughs>